I just thought about like, there's a problem that I see. I don't really like it the way things are right now. So I'm going to solve it. And I guess maybe that's the yeah. character trait that's always been there. It's like, I just don't like something. And I'm like, I'm going to do something about it. That's Gary Stewart, founder and CEO of Founder Tribes. Founder Tribes digital community provides founders with access to other founders and early stage investors. Their mission is to make it possible for anyone with an idea to succeed. On this episode of Think Like a Founder, we talk about connecting the dots others can't see, your internal moral compass, and how the immigrant experience lends itself to a founder mentality. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. When you were a kid, you thought uh, you would be a lawyer or a politician. You were born in Jamaica, you grew up in the Bronx, and you did become a lawyer after graduating from Yale Law. How did you go from that to becoming a founder? I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was when I was in law school. I don't think that people even spoke about entrepreneurship. It was so far back, 1990s, that it wasn't really kind of a thing at that point. And it was in about 2005 after I realized that I wasn't quite as in love with being a lawyer. Like the day-to-day wasn't quite what it had looked like on TV. And then I said, well, I want something a little bit more interesting, a little bit more exciting. And I thought, hey, well... I'm still relatively young. Everyone's talking about this like internet stuff. Let me try and create like an internet business. And that was it. And I didn't call myself an entrepreneur. I just said, okay, I'm starting a business. And then as you start to kind of get your feet wet, people are like, you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, what'd you call me? (laughs) What did you say? (laughs) What'd you say? And then I realized, okay, yes, I guess I am that thing that I didn't know that I was. And then I started to learn what that actually meant. Were you bored or it just wasn't what you wanted that just gave you the guts or the thinking that this is what you could do? Well, I went to Yale undergraduate as well. And it was only years afterwards I had started a student organization at Yale because the story is that they invited Charles Murray, who I think is racist, to come speak at Yale to talk about the genetic inferiority of Black people. And they had stuff like the Yale Political Union and stuff like that. And I was like, well, why don't you guys have a place where we can hear other voices? Which means, well, maybe we need to have some of the voices from the Black community that also have things that might not be quite mainstream that we can kind of hear from as well. And no one was doing it. So I started that organization. We called it the Yale Black Political Forum. And the university gave us money to kind of do it. And we had to come up with like marketing and stuff like that. But again, I didn't think about it like I'm a founder or whatever. I just thought about there's a problem that I see. I don't really like it the way things are right now. So I'm going to solve it. And I guess maybe that's the character that's always been there. It's like, I just don't like something. And I'm like, I'm going to do something about it. But you've spoken about your parents wanting you to follow a steady professional path. And being a founder can seem like a very risky thing with that kind of encouragement. You talk about the immigrant experiences and how it affects not only your parents' attitude towards being a founder, but how it also affects founders themselves. Give us a little perspective on that. Well, I think that immigrants are born, they're born entrepreneurs, right? Because again, it's the same idea. You have a kind of comfortable life, or at least you know what's around you. And then you decide, hey, I'm going to leave it all up, go to a place that I don't really know, maybe a language that I don't know, people that I don't know, networks that aren't mine. And I'm going to try and create a better life for myself. And I might need to reimagine myself and re-envision kind of my capabilities And maybe I need to start from scratch and take lots of risks. So I think that it is expected that, like, I think of my parents as entrepreneurs as well. Not that they did any sort of business stuff, but they took these huge risks with the belief that it was possible to create, like, a better life for at least themselves and their children. And I think that what happens then is that parents usually think, well, 
I took all that risk so that you wouldn't have to. And when their kids are like, well, hey, I'm a risk taker too. They're like, well, what the hell is going on? And they kind of worry that their vision of what you were going to have in your life is somehow not going to realize itself, right? And that Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to be a failure, but like, it's like, well, why do I do all of that if you're not going to really kind of take advantage of it? It's not only immigrants. I think most entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs have parents, especially if they went to like Yale College and Yale Law School that said, why did you spend all of that money to then kind of throw it away, people would say, and do this thing that you didn't actually need those degrees for. And when you talk to people at Yale Law School and Yale College who went on to become entrepreneurs, a lot of people feel almost like shunned at least in the olden days, it was like, well, you were stupid. You had that law degree. You could have gone to become a partner at a law firm and made a lot of money. And you decided to throw it all away to kind of go and uh, pursue this quote unquote dream. Like, you know, like you're so, so stupid. It was only after kind of the society caught up. And then I wasn't the only one that discovered what an entrepreneur was, but then people were watching Mark Zuckerberg and the social network. Then my sister actually came back to me and she's a doctor. And she was like, I kind of think I might want to do something entrepreneurial as well. And I feel like that's cool now. But that wasn't the way it was when I first started out. Solving a problem, though, I think is a key component. If there's something that you see that needs solving, that is a good thing. But there's a sense of relentlessness that a lot of founder types have that even when everyone says no, you say yes and you go through Do you find that in yourselves, your heart and soul, as well as the people you're working with? What do you think? Some people might call it like a messiah complex. But I guess like, (laughs) but I do think that entrepreneurs do have to be a bit messianic. So like whenever I pitch my idea and someone says, I don't see it, I'm like, makes sense. Because if you could see it, then I wouldn't be me, right? So the idea is that like, you have to be able to believe that you can see things that other people can't see. It's almost like the matrix. Everyone else sees zeros and ones and you see something else. And that something else is hopefully the value that you're going to create that's going to be your legacy. And especially if it's some an area that you're really passionate about and you know really well, then again, you can connect dots that other people just can't connect. And I think that's where you kind of find great entrepreneurs. And then at the end of the day, other people are rejecting you all the time and they're telling you you're crazy. And you're like, no, I don't think I'm crazy. I think I'm onto something. Mm-hmm. And you just have to have that passion mm-hmm. and that relentlessness to just kind of be able to suspend this belief. the things that seems to be compelling about the reality of founder is loneliness. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes it is kind of lonely, but I think that you can have co-founders or you can have communities. I think that like, because I've worked in entrepreneurship now for like the last, I don't know, like 15 years, I know a lot of other founders, a lot of, you know, investors. And so like, whenever you're kind of feeling a bit low, it's really good to just call somebody up who's also obsessed about solving problems and just talk it through because you can't always do that with your family and friends. They kind of get tired of it uh, because you're so (laughs) obsessed, but there are other freaks out there who kind of like are willing to talk about these things Uh kind of obsessively. And it's really great to have that. So I think one of the things I saw when we were running an accelerator called Wira is that founders, what they liked more than anything else was the peer to peer support. It doesn't have to be your co-founder, but just having a community of peers who you can say, I need help with this employee, or I can't figure out this marketing plan, or does anyone have a good contract template for a shareholders agreement? Those are the things that help make it feel 
a little bit more like a community, a little bit less lonely. And it's great for people to hear that. It doesn't solve everything, but at least knowing that it's part of it. One of the things that is common entrepreneur or founder is mission driven. So most of the people just like you are that you work with are mission driven. And when you think about that, how do you suggest starting and what advice would you give them? Yeah, so mission-driven doesn't mean it's not a business. At Wira, one of the things that we saw is we had a joint venture with the British government, actually, to co-invest in social entrepreneurs or mission-driven startups. So like lots of terminology for them, but some people see social impact as kind of like a stigma. For me, for example, some people would say that we're a social impact startup, but I kind of really go away from that because I think that people think it means that you don't actually have to have a business plan. You don't have to have a team. You just have to say kumbaya and hug a tree every day. And I kind of wanted to make it really clear that for me, the mission is the problem that I'm trying to solve. I'm still an entrepreneur. I'm solving a problem. That for me is a very big problem, but I know that it needs to make money. So I think that that's kind of the issue, which is that some people in the kind of social impact space consider you to be impure if you have any sort of like capitalist motivation. And I think that's changing. People are understanding that you can kind of do good and do well. You don't have to choose between the two concepts. And I think that that's kind of what my main focus has been and would be to any sort of mission-driven social impact or whatever other term entrepreneur you want to use, which is it's great to want to save the world, but to do that, you're going to need money and you need a business model and you need the right team to do it. So don't think that you're absolved from these real entrepreneurial questions simply because you give yourself this title. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people do think money is on the evil side and there is a difference between being passionate about something and just wanting to solve the problem and not worrying about money. But you're right, it takes money to do something. So it's not evil and the balance between the two. And certainly right now we're hearing an awful lot about how people don't balance it. But I think your advice is good and great because it has to be. You need money to pay people. So there's a balance there. If you want to do something at scale, then scaling a business is also super complicated. So when I would talk to social entrepreneurs, I'm like, do you want to help five people or do you want to help five million people? Because I want to help five billion people. Mm -hmm. And to help five billion people, that requires understanding how organizations work, how to create teams, what's management, what's finance. If you really want to make a difference, think about how you can do that for millions of people, not tens of people. And what about values? How does that fit into how the founder, entrepreneur, and or leader starts building a team and becoming successful? You either have them or you don't. I don't think that it's something that's endemic to being an entrepreneur. I think that just as when we look to kind of like everything that's happening around us in politics, you know, it's clear that some politicians have values and some don't. And it doesn't make a difference where they went to school or what they say they profess to be interested in. You kind of prove your values every single day. And so that's what I would say. It's kind of like, I know what's important to me. I actually don't need the validation of anybody else. I don't really care that much. I know what my internal moral compass is and I need to act according to that compass. And then if it turns out that I've done something wrong, then I need to be held accountable for it. But I do think that you do have to kind of make sure that people have values. Because if the only value that they have is making money, then it's pretty clear that that's going to create very harmful, maybe unintended consequences that they don't really care about. So we do need to have these values in mind from the beginning. And if, if it's not from the beginning, then at some point we need to be held accountable for them. One of the other characteristics, it seems, with founders, entrepreneurs, leaders, is that they are forever students, that you're always learning and always improving. For me, 
entrepreneurship is basically the scientific method applied to business. You can't basically ever stop until the experiment is solved. And so most of the times there is no definitive resolution. There's just a solution that's better than the last one, but someone else is thinking the same thing and they're going to come along and put you out of existence. So the thing is, you can never ever rest on your laurels in entrepreneurship because you understand that this is a question that you are trying to answer. And maybe you might have the best answer for it right now, but that's not a permanent status. That's just a temporary situation. You have to work every single day to make sure that you continuously have the best answer. Because if not, someone else is going to come and eat your lunch. That was Gary Stewart, founder and CEO of Founder Tribes. Founder Tribes is a digital community providing founders with access to other founders and early stage investors. Their mission is to make it possible for anyone with an idea to succeed. See more at foundertribes.com. Join us next time on Think Like a Founder when we talk to Sarah Spangello, founder and CEO of Swarm Technologies. We talk about training to be an astronaut, keeping calm when things get tough, and making satellites the size of a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt, sound design by Mark Ream. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan and Jason Drown. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani-Shell, Eli Shell, Matt Johnson, John Hughes, and Ren Barra. 